0: Petaluma, California.
1: Good morning, Petaluma. Hang on. What's happening? Good morning, Petaluma. You are listening to KPCALP, Petaluma, California. This is talking with Rabbi Ted. I'm Rabbi Ted Feldman the Rabbi Epine Israel Jewish Center here in Petaluma, and the chair of the Petaluma Community Relations Council. Every two weeks we come into this studio to meet people from our Petaluma community, find interesting notions, ideas, uh, leadership, all those things to remind us how wonderful it is for us to live in our beautiful community, uh, even if there's an occasional pothole along the way to wherever we're going. Our guests today uh, during the second segment will be John Crowley from uh, Aquas Cafe and a community activist. And here in the first segment of today's program, uh, I thought we'd take the opportunity to uh, get to know the person who's been sitting next to me all these weeks of doing my program, running the boards and taking care of the technical stuff while I have the privilege of speaking to our guests. So behind those boards has been Jim Stern. And welcome to
0: the studio, Jim. Well, thank you very much. Here I am. You have such a great radio voice. I've done a lot of that. I can give you the FM voice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's a difference
1: between the yes, FM voice. There's a top 40 rock and roll. There's <laughs> oh, a the top 40 rock. Oh, Dick Biondi, I can tell. I can tell. <laughs> Do you know Dick Biondi?
0: I don't think no, so. New York. He was a, doesn't know me either. Yeah, he doesn't
1: know you either, I'm sure so uh jim is um a musician a uh, uh formerly involved with fantasy records in berkeley a sound engineer recording engineer uh very involved at Israel jewish center uh most important for me, he's my friend, so you all get to listen into to two friends talking to each other here. Should we argue? Live. Yeah, we could argue. What should we argue about? <laughs> Giving gifts to you.
0: There you go. We, yeah,
1: that's what our our one major argument over the years it has, been, has been. It has. So, that, give me a little, uh, give our listeners a little background on where you were born, how long you've been in Petaluma, right. uh, you know, those kinds of
0: things, okay? Well, I was born. At (laughs) a young age, I heard. Well, they they tell me that. (laughs) There's some question about that. Uh, You know, I was born in San Francisco in the Haight-Ashbury in 1944. My dad was born in the city in 1909 at home on uh, 10th Avenue. And uh, we go back into the 1800s in the city. I had a family that goes back way back when. And a few things that interested me, since I was born, they knew that music was in my life. If they sang to me, uh, the pain went away and I stopped crying. So, music has always been a big part of my life. And uh, when I was six or seven, I was a Cub Scout and I got into making the merit badges, and one of them was a crystal set. So, I ended up in getting into electronics, and uh, that was another passion of mine. So, my degrees uh, are in electronics, and uh, I had worked in electronics and it's helped support myself playing music uh, on the weekends. You know, any kind of gig that anybody would give me from a bar mitzvah to a confirmation to a Uh, whatever it was. If they paid me, I'm there. And uh, so I ended up uh, through a long series of events. Uh, After school, I was working for Hughes, uh, Howard Hughes, in his avionics division. And I got offered the same uh, money back on the strip in Broadway in San Francisco, playing behind Naked Ladies. I played behind Carol Dode and people like that. So it just seemed much more interesting. I was in my 20s and full of piss and vinegar and all that. So I went off and uh, and hit the road, and uh, through another series of events, uh, I ended up um, running into a friend of mine who was leaving Fantasy Records. He was the staff drummer, and he was going to go join the Paul Butterfield Band. So he turned me on to the R&B producer there, and I ended up as the staff drummer and was making records. But because I had electronics, and I had also worked for the phone company, so I knew audio, and... All of that is wonderful. Those are preparatory things. But I was given gifts, and one of the gifts that God gave me was a set of ears. And I didn't know that, but I just started making things sound good to me. And the next thing I knew, I was a recording engineer. And um, so I became vice president of engineering studio operations for fantasy. I designed, built, ran all the studios for years. Made a lot of records and movies, Cuckoo's Nest, Lord of the Rings, everything from Duke Ellington to Tommy James and the Shondells when it comes to records. Produced a bunch, engineered a bunch, played on a bunch, um, went on, went to L.A. and did a lot of stuff in L.A. too, running the number one studio down there and all. And I came back and I was um, kind of blown out from the business, it's a very high. end. when you're in the A-lane in this business, it's pretty stressful. And I had been there for 20 years. So I took some time off, went back to school, got another electronics degree, ended up running corporations, which was a real bizarre turn of events, and I'd had enough and stopped and um, decided that it was time to just move on and do some other things. So uh, I went through a very series of events and very series of different uh, approaches to, to life and all. And then um just ended up uh, making records again. I In 1972, maybe, my secretary called me and she said, uh, you got a call? And I said, who's that? She said, it's Van Morrison. I said, yeah, right. <laughs> of course, you know, yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah. Paul McCartney's next, right? <laughs> So I took the call, and, uh, you know, I was this Jim yeah, well, I'm yeah, right. <laughs> he said, I have this studio these guys are trying to build me, and nothing, I don't know. And they said, you're the man in the Bay Area, would you come look at it? So I went and uh, checked it out, and I just tore the whole place apart and rebuilt it. And We made about two or three records there, and we became friends. So that's, what, 40-something years ago, 46 mm-hmm. years I'm ago. 50, yeah. So I made a lot of his records, and... Um, maybe I won't hear from him for five years. And then all of a sudden, he calls me up. He says, I'm producing John Lee Hooker. you got to come help me. And we won two Grammys with that. And uh, then a few years went by, and he called me a couple, I don't know, a couple, three years ago. He says, what are you doing? Let's have lunch. So we talked. The next thing I know, he called me. He says, let's do a record. So we did a record with Joey DeFrancesco, who was probably one of the top B3 organ players in the world. And um, we did it very fast, because uh, we are fast. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We cut 15 tunes in two days. Wow. Ah, okay. And uh, so that record uh, came out. It's out right now. It came out in, um, I don't know, six months ago.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It hit number 13 in the pop charts, but it hit number one in the jazz charts, where it stayed for six weeks. And it stayed in the top 10 of the pop charts for 22 weeks, which is six months. It's amazing. It's still there. It's in, uh, number 13. But I just turned in the new one that we did, which is kind of a, a version two of the first one. It's the same uh, musicians, uh, different tunes. And uh, I just turned that in the last one was on Sony. This one is uh, NBC Universal, And so I just approved the LPs uh, a couple nights ago. So that shall be coming out. Fairly soon, and uh, it's I think a better record than the first one, and it's just a blessing to be able to, yeah. to make such great music and to have people enjoy it. People have come up to me over the years and appreciated it. One couple came up and said we had three kids because of that record, and I thought, gee, I wasn't there. To see it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wow, darn it, that's a whole <laughs> other business <laughs> 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 <So> <laughs> right. yeah. you could get into. could start, yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's a real blessing for me is to is the music, and I've been playing again a lot over. I've been playing bebop. Jazz now for about twenty-five years. I was mostly a rock and R&B drummer, but it's a lot of fun, and I just music has been just an amazing, uplifting part of my spirit. It takes takes the place of a lot of drugs.
1: <laughs> there you go, <laughs> and hopefully, it would replace many, many more drugs in the world. Um, and one of the things you've told me over the years is that sometimes that gift of music that you have uh, also can be uh, troublesome because when you hear sounds that don't really fit into whatever musical scale it's supposed to fit in, like maybe I'm leading services at the synagogue and I, uh, anyway, that that's really hard for you. What's that?
0: Yeah. Um, I don't believe him, but a lot of my friends say I have perfect pitch. I don't believe it's perfect. I'm pretty close, but uh-huh. I don't think it's perfect, but... When I hear something sharp, when you hear something sharp, it's a little easier on your ear. You don't notice it as much. Mm -hmm. Flat spits out like a sore thumb. If I hear a flat note, my spine curls. I mean, literally, my spine curls. It's like, oh, my God, i got to move. I cannot handle a chord. Say there's three notes in the chord. If one of those notes is flat... My whole I, I just one to no, like uh, fingernails on the on the on chalkboard, the chalkboard. You right. know, so it's very tough for me. Uh, I I really am very fussy about that part of it. And when it comes to making records, like Van, Van leaves me alone. He comes in, we cut the stuff, he leaves. Uh, I do most of the overdubs if if they don't involve him or whatever, and I'll do almost all. he very seldom ever comes to a mix and for you know a half an hour or something. So I mix everything. I do a lot of the work on myself, and he lets me do what I need to do. He lets me put him, put myself into his music and make decisions. Which, is such an honor that the man would let me make decisions on his music. But I'm fussier than he is. He likes my rough mixes. <laughs> and I'm saying no, 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 no. You can't have that. No, I'm not going to give you those. But I'll sit there, and if I've got the time and the 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 budget to be able to sit in the studio and fix everything, I'll listen to it. I've listened to this each one of these things a thousand times easily just over and over and oh, There's a little thing there. I make notes, and then I go in and I fix every little thing I can until it's, until I can give it to the company and say, there's nothing more that I could do. It's going to go out there. It's going to be in the public. They're going to hear it for years and years and years, and I'm going to have to live with any mistakes that I let go. So I'm really fussy about all that, and that's part of this whole thing with the music. If it's not expected at that level, if I'm going to see some local Group, you know, they're just a bunch of nice people who play music. They're not professionals or whatever, and they're a little flat. And they're like, That's fine. I don't have a problem. With okay, that. good. I, oh, I right, can yeah. deal with all of that. Right. That's why I don't give you any trouble when you're done. Okay. Okay. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. You don't go flat as much as you should. You shift keys. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> shifting keys.
1: You just got to keep keep people on their toes. You know. You know? Got Exactly.
0: Well, you got me there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. So. Um, this whole musical for you, it's more than just a, it was more than just a career. There's really inside of you this a passion about it. It's it's, a, it's where you get your spiritual druthers too, at one level, right? Isn't oh, absolutely. True? Yeah, uh,
0: I I have met the divine so many times in my music, mm. and one of the things that that always it, it lights up all musicians, I'm sure. And this may be one of the reasons why some of them uh, just keep turning to drugs to get that 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 feeling back again. If you've got say you've got five people and you're playing music bass drums guitar and something or other one, and um, you're all playing along and you're going dum pa dum pa and everybody's having fun. All of a sudden, you go ba ba da ba ba da ba da ba, but everybody does it together. And you look around the room like whose idea was that? You know, yeah. you don't really know. And it's this magical space that, that is created when everybody comes together and it becomes one. And God, it's one. It's it, it, you're not you playing with four other people. You're all one. And when the music is really good, that's one of the things that Van has. Van has this magical channel. I've played gigs with him, and when you play, you're better than you normally are. He sucked, that energy just sucks you into this channel, and you can't make a mistake. You mm-hmm. almost can't make a mistake because you're just right in there with everything, and if you just let go and let the energy flow through you, everything comes out of you the way it's supposed to.
1: Oh, that's... um. I'm thinking about the other areas, like uh, when we're in the synagogue singing as a congregation. When, when everybody seems to be together, there's there is that magical feeling that fills the room. So I can I, I get that that notion of uh, how that's like when the music comes together yeah. with four people playing. That's a wonderful thing. So how did you get to Petaluma? Where did Petaluma fit into this? journey of yours.
0: It landed on my car.
1: It landed on your car. Oh, no.
0: Wow. Well, you see, we had a summer place in Rio Nido on the Russian River. Uh-huh. So since 1944, I grew up with my summers on the Russian River. And my, my mother's sister married uh, a man born in Petaluma. His family's still here. And so I have cousins here in Petaluma. And so we would come through Petaluma. This is before 101 was the freeway. It was Petaluma Boulevard. Uh, We would come through Petaluma, and we would get the chickens and eggs and visit the family and all, stop at Palace of Fruit and get veggies and everything going up to the cabin. Come back once a week. I learned to swim and ride a bike and everything up here. So there's a special place in the Russian River in my my, uh, psyche and my soul. (laughs) So I always thought I'd end up somewhere in Sonoma County. And when I moved out of the city, because it was getting crazy, I moved to Marin. And I lived in Marin for 10 years. That's where I met Van. He lived in, we both lived in Fairfax. And uh, so uh, after he had divorced his wife, Janet, and he'd moved on and he was selling the the house and uh, he had, uh, he had a studio there where we had, had worked and uh, where we had done several of the albums. And uh, so he says, you know, one day he calls me up, he says, let's have dinner. So we had dinner. He says, you know all that studio stuff? I said, yeah, what'd you do with that? He said, it's all in storage at North American Van Lines. I had him take everything out of the studio building and just put it in storage. I said, oh, wow. He says, well, here, and he hands me his ticket. He said, it's all yours. I said, what am I going to do with it? He said, well, you bought it and designed it, built it, everything. I don't know anything about it. I said, but I'm in the studio all day. I want to go home and be in the studio. What are you? He said, Jimmy, you've got to take it. I don't know what to do with it. So I picked the thing, and I couldn't put it in my house in Fairfax. I'm on the side of the hill. I had half an acre with a couple of units, but you, you can't, you know, you can't even walk. It's pretty steep, you know, one one car road going through. So I wanted to buy a house with a large detached garage where I could put the studio. And I could find what I liked if I couldn't afford it in Marin. I could find what I could afford but I didn't like it up here. So finally I found this place that I have now 40 years ago. <laughs> yes, 40 years ago. So I bought the house, and I never put the studio in the garage. <laughs> my friend had, he was doing a lot of commercials, radio and TV commercials, mm-hmm. and he had everything in this in the family room at his home. So all of the equipment and the microphone, everything was all in one room. There was no control room and, and studio. And I did some sessions for him. I played drums on, on a bunch of stuff for him, and I thought, gee, this is really a good idea, plus I can get rid of my spare bedroom and get rid of all these People that keep showing up. Hey, can I stay there for six months? Uh, yeah, I guess. Uh, <laughs> so I took down the spare bedroom and I put all the equipment in as a control room, and I did about five or six albums out of there. Wow. And uh, yeah, and, and in fact, I think I mixed a Van album in that. And um, so that was a a really powerful movement ahead in terms of just moving me into my own thing.
1: And what was uh, and what was or is the local music scene? I know you're connected here, musically with the community. What, what's it like for you here? Is it, I'll tell you right now. Yeah. I think
0: it's 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 better than it's ever been. I think it's spectacular. When I moved here, there are a lot of I'm going to use this word. There are a lot of dilettantes in Marin, and there were a lot around here. There are people who, there's a lot of people who play music who never expect to be professionals. They just play and have fun. And that's great. But there's some people in that level of musicianship who think they're really good and who think that they're just, you know, the cat's meow. But they've never been to the mountain, and so they don't have any way to judge themselves against the height of the mountain. They just think they're really up there. But they're not even at the beginning base level of the mountain, so to speak. And so... I found that it was uh, there were a lot of clubs that tried to open Petaluma and failed. <clears throat> Jazz did not make it in Petaluma at all. We, several friends, everybody tried to do various things. And, you know, things just kept being nebulous. There was no core group of, of really happening things for a long time. And then it started to change. And now there are some very, very well-connected, very powerfully uh, talented people in this industry and in, in, in associated artistic industries in this area you don't know their names a lot of them because they're not famous right. they're people like me in the background you know you can walk by them in the street you don't know who I am and I like that because I don't have to be recognized but they're they're artists they're producers they're they're uh, arrangers they're they're performers they're writers they're uh, sculptors, whatever it is, there's, a, there's an embedded, really talented group of people here now. And what's happened with the music scene is now there's a lot of places to play. There's Lagunitas, there's the Red Brick, there's uh, the Riverfront, there's there's a Big Easy, there's Pongos. I mean, everywhere you look, there's a there's a venue now which wasn't available before. And so there's a lot of young groups and a lot of a lot of uh, acoustic New Age groups and such coming through, and they're playing, and it's wonderful to see this resurgence. And then, of course, we've got a few real ringers, you know, the Brothers Comatose, known those guys since they were kids, and they're just internationally stars now. And just, you know, little groups like a a friend of mine said, you've got to come down here and hear this group. And it was at, at, uh, 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 what was the coffee company that tried, they fought with, um, with, Starbucks, when they came in, it was just a big. Uh, I, can't, I, can't I can't remember the one, yeah, yes, you know, it was But they had like two stores it's on the boulevard, on right. The boulevard right. Yeah. Right. right? So I went down, and there was this young group there. And there were five people in the place, they sounded great. And they had beautiful harmonies and vocals. And the, the, the lyrics that's train. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they went down to the city now, they're they're big, they're huge. I mean, uh-huh. they're in a very, very big, big group, but they started here in Petaluma. And so, you know, it's really nice to see the changes.
1: That, uh, yes, so it's good to know that uh, among all the things that Petaluma is known for, antiques, Sonoma County, wine country, that the music scene is really an important cultural phenomenon here in town and to recognize that it's here and to acknowledge it. It's it's really important for for our community and for the life of our community. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, in in this journey, life journey of yours, uh, you appeared, uh, I've been at B'nai Israel since 2005, and you appeared on the scenes there, you. and uh, you did, you did, and um, what what's that, this, the Jewish pieces of this journey of yours? Uh, well, tell me about that.
0: Okay, well, I grew up in a Conservative synagogue in San Francisco, not conservative uh, with with the quotation marks around it, but conservative in the stream of Judaism, of one of the streams of Judaism. The synagogue I grew up in was uh, built in 1860 Hmm. in San Francisco. It's one of the oldest, I think it was the oldest conservative synagogue. And, um, you know, what I saw growing up um, as a kid was a very close to orthodoxy, not quite, but pretty close to it. The old conservative movement was pretty close to orthodoxy rather than, say, uh, a more liberal, like reformed Judaism, which is much more liberal. And so a lot of stuff kind of got embedded in me somehow, and what I didn't understand was that the, the Hebrew language is something in my soul. I don't, I've never tried to analyze it or something, but it's just the sound of it, and, and, and the prayers, and, and and some of the melodies are just, they're very intrinsic to me somehow. So I tried really hard to believe and to follow the rabbis and to do this stuff and I just couldn't get it because I have I have a connection to the divine that I've had all my life. Uh later on in life I had a death, I had a death experience. I died and I got I was given the choice and I chose to come back. And I've had my life pretty close to the edge a few times, you know. Just recently I was in an automobile accident. I could have really been bashed up pretty bad. But, you know, nothing happened really bad. So I've uh, I've known this relationship, and I kept looking for it within Judaism. and couldn't quite find it. I kept finding people who said they had it, but it didn't translate. I couldn't get it. And I tried and tried, and at 16, when I finished all of the, the liturgy that was laid out for the kids, you know, I was confirmed, done, I'm gone. And uh, I stayed away for, I don't know, 50 years or something. I just kept trying to go back, and it never connected for me. It just didn't really work. And uh, somebody said to me, well, we got this new rabbi. you got to come meet him. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, these rabbis. Then, you know, when you mean, one, you've seen one, you've seen see them all. The come right. on. So anyway, they had a meet and greet for you in the backyard. So somebody convinced me to go. So I walked in, and there, may he rest in peace, Jack Levinson, who was there, said, Jimmy, you're here? Give me a check. You're in the men's club. <laughs> I said, okay, I'm in the men's club. So you had a class. I don't even remember what it was. One of your very first classes. I got nothing to do tonight, I'll go. And I started learning from you. And one of the things that will always stay with me that I never realized is why do we do what we do? You know, these are the old state things that we do, the practices of Judaism, but I never knew why we did this. They just said, Do it. Nobody ever told me why. They never they never trusted my intelligence enough to so that I could understand it, I guess. I don't know, but Suddenly, I found out, no, this is why we, well, this isn't old. This doesn't come from biblical times. This came from 1730. Really? I didn't know these things, and I didn't understand a lot. So, I began studying, and I started coming to synagogue, to services on Saturday for Shabbat services. And I'm over in the corner, hiding by myself, and one of the elders came to me and said, hey, I hear you over there. You know this stuff. You can do this. I said, no, 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 no. <laughs> and I ran. Well, one day he, he came over and he shook my hand. And he said, good morning, Shabbat Shalom. And I said, Shabbat Shalom. And he wouldn't let go. And he pulled me up because he, he was one of the people that led morning services. And he pulled me up there and I was just, what am I going to do? And he started to leave. I said, no, you've got to stay with me. And that kind of started it. Wow. You know, and then various things like there was somebody didn't show up that did one of the parts of the service, and you said, Jim, you got to do this. I (laughs) said, I'll help you, and so you got me through it, and I did it. I began to realize that that yeah, I'm a 33rd degree Mason. Uh, I'm a really good ritualist. I always have been, and uh, so the ritual came easy to me. And once I got the perspective that this is my tribe, I have a relationship. With God, I, everybody can define that their own way. Whatever way what, they want. Whatever right. it is, and I don't right. see some guy on a throne. I don't know, but I do. I am guided very heavily, and so I have this relationship, and that's that's extrinsic to everything. That is who. That's between me and the divine. But this is my tribe. This is the this is the the work of the tribe that that I was born into, and if I have talents and abilities to bring to the table. That I believe it's a sin not to use your talents.
1: and uh just for me to comment that certainly has been my honor to watch your growth over these uh years, and uh, I would say to our listeners that Jim is one of the more learned among our community. He has continued his studies, he's curious uh asks questions. From my perspective, that's one of the hallmarks of Jewish uh, efforts at spirituality, which is asking questions and seeking answers and looking at various possibilities. And you have been a highlight of that for me over the years. I, I always know you have something to say. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you you read really... like a book. <laughs> From right to left. <laughs> From right to left.
1: From right to left. And I also appreciate the, um, the language piece, that the Hebrew language, there's... For me, there's something musical about the language itself. It has nothing to do with the musical notes, but just the use of the language itself. And even if I can't understand some of it myself, and I'd have to sit with a dictionary to look up some of the words. It's it's the place that we're doing it. It's the community I'm doing it with. It's the sound of the Hebrew. It's the connection with each other in the room and historically over the centuries. Um, So there is music in that. And... um, Yes, it's been a, uh, a great journey with you over these past 13 years. Any more, uh, just to, before we close up, any future musical endeavors that we should know about?
0: Well, um, um hmm. oh,
1: you can't announce it. Oh, okay.
0: Uh, Van, let's put it this way. Van has booked me for 10 days to do another album a little later in the year. Uh-huh. I, I can't get into details about okay, it. Okay, I got you. And, uh, you know, there's another project that I'm in the middle of that I'm helping. I've been helping a lot of people, giving back. I produced a couple albums free of charge and stuff like that because, you know, it's time to give back to those who are coming up and that's kind of what I'm doing.
1: Well, you are an honored member of our community and I thank you, thank you so much for uh, being next to me every time we do this radio show to help with those buttons that you're pushing now. And it's been great to have this conversation with you on air and give people a chance to get to know you. You're listening to Talking with Rabbi Ted. This is KPCALP, Petaluma, California. Welcome back to the second segment of Talking with Rabbi Ted. You're listening to KPCA-LP, Petaluma, California, broadcasting live, 103.3 FM, online at kpca.fm. Welcome to our second segment today, and as our guest, we have John Crowley, who is Is famous in our community for uh, all of his work on behalf, uh, owner of Aquas Cafe and uh, a center of uh, communal life here. Well, welcome. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here with you, Ted. Wow. We have, uh, you know, you're following up on Jim Stern here, so this is quite a... I I know.
3: Quite a a difficult act to follow. Jim, you have uh, your name in certain circles is like uh, next to God. Wow, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Wow, <laughs> wow, wow, wow. <laughs> in certain circles that we can't talk about here, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: It depends what we'll puts you in the circles at times too, I understand that. Well it's great to have you here today, John. Thank and you. um my usual format is to uh start with uh, a little question of your history, how you yeah. got to Petluma, yeah. what your life what your journey has been like and Yes. All that kind of good stuff. You probably notice a little accent. It's isn't it the Bronx?
3: It's the yeah, of the, the Bronx, Bronx exactly. A certain part of the so. Bronx called uh, called Ireland actually. Oh yeah, <laughs> <do you laughs> you know, the east side, the of, east the side Bronx, of the Bronx. Bronx yeah. Yeah. okay. So yeah, um, grew up in Ireland. You know, got educated and and back in the 70s and 80s and for actually a couple hundred years, the idea was you got you grew up, you got educated, and you left. Ah. And uh, I followed that and uh, spent some time in Germany, actually working in Siemens, and then came to the United States about 25 years ago, uh, straight to Petaluma. Wow! How did? Wh- why? Yeah. Well, I um, why? Well, I visited <laughs> wow, <or> whatever. <laughs> <laughs> How did you, like, yeah. Um, I visited my brother who had moved to Petaluma ah. prior, about five years prior, and okay. you know, he was part of the the Irish diaspora as well. You know, he got educated and left Ireland too. Uh-huh. So I followed in his footsteps and came to visit him and uh, was offered a job. I, I initially just came to visit, but while I was here for the summer, I, was, I got offered a job by, uh, actually, you probably know Val Richmond, you probably know Abram yeah. Richmond, he he was the very person who offered me a job, and I uh, was uh-huh. a computer programmer back then, Unix systems programmer, uh, very kind of nerdy kind of stuff, and... Um, they needed exactly what skill set I had, and I made that decision and came here and thought I'd be here for a few years and uh, loved it so much that uh, there's really no reason to ever leave Petaluma once you know what's really going on here. That's uh, something quite special.
1: That's yeah. uh, a good Chamber of Commerce kind of statement, but it's true. It's kind of, I can hear it coming from inside exactly. of you. Yeah. Yes, yes. And it
3: really is. It's, uh, I, I don't know whether it's in the water the air. I think it's actually in the people. Uh, yeah. Who 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 have been here for so long, and uh, so I kind of felt that I was welcomed into their community, and um, hopefully I've added a little bit uh, to it. So
1: yeah, I can second that too, because when I came into my community, the Jewish community here, the synagogue's been here since 1864, yes. and there's a long history in some of the older families, and there's just something solid about yep. being part of of such a community. Yes, uh, absolutely. And it's, it's you know, it's,
3: uh, it, it, I wouldn't say it's terribly diverse uh, it, it, ethnically or whatever, but, you know, from, uh, it's a working uh, community and it's got all types of all walks of life here and everybody seems to get along fairly well. Um, and um, there are certain aspects of it that uh, are rather special, as you know, that kind of the sense of even just walking down the street and people will say hello to you. Um, You know, in other communities, they won't. You know, there's kind of, uh, I think the initial, when people meet in Petaluma, there's a couple of things that are different. Uh, There's an immediate kind of trust. Okay, you're part of Petaluma, so you must be, you know, part of the the, the people who live here who want to create community and understand what it is to to live in Petaluma.
1: Right. I've been in communities where there's nobody out on the streets, right? Yes. You don't see people, and I I always marvel driving around and, just people are out and talking to each other and walking along. So I, I understand this. Yeah. So this this gentleman over here sitting next to me started this little controversy about the pronunciation of your name. Uh-huh. Yes, yes, indeed. He told me it perhaps should be Crowley <laughs> and not Crowley. So would you elucidate on the truth of your name? The truth of my name,
3: indeed, <laughs> the, the, the mysteries of my name. Um, I grew up with it being um, Crowley, uh-huh. uh, but that was Dublin. But I've since realized that, that my family is from this very southern part of Ireland, Cork, uh-huh. uh, where they'd, they'd be talking a little bit of an accent, and they'd say Crowley. Uh-huh. Uh, and so it's, in America, it's known more as Crowley than Crowley, so I will, you know, I'll defer to whatever um, men in Rome do as uh, the Romans. So right. I, as I, long I, as they recognize the exact, person that's yeah, behind is, that name,
1: yeah, after all, exactly, it's only yeah, a name. It is. Indeed, so, you've, so you've been, um, you know, engaged in the activist community and uh, looking at issues, people's lives, connecting. So you were you were talking to me about when you first came here early on. You started this pub crawl thing? Yes, yes, yeah, which sounds very alcoholic. It does, I, doesn't indeed, it does. yes. <laughs> you know, I, well, there was a
3: little, you know, a glass of wine or two tends to lubricate and uh, uh, get people in conversation. But it was definitely um, the sense of, when I came to Petaluma, is, well, how do I get integrated? Um, do I, get, in Ireland, you'd go down to the local pub and you'd meet the, you know, you'd, you'd meet the pastor uh, and you meet the bank manager, and you meet the bricklayer and the carpenter, and everybody. Um, you meet your neighbors there, and that's how you would meet everybody and how you get integrated into the community. Here is a little different, um, and you know, it, backing up a little bit, I generalised by where do you find your friends, and it's it's through our a lot of times through our children, through our place of work, or through our place of worship. And um, at that time, I didn't have kids, didn't go to church, and I worked with a couple of other computer programmers. So uh, it was kind of okay. Well, how do I? And it was really quite a quite a question that I had in my head: is how do I how do I make friends? How do I find people that I want to hang with? And um, so we started this pub crawl idea, um, which was started with probably about a handful of people. And they sent an email and said, well, "Well, this is kind of the, the the 90s. So this is kind of when email was first starting."
1: Last century. Last century. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah, exactly. It was <laughs> a last century idea. <so>. But it was really just an idea of, well, why don't we just go out and meet people that we don't know and get into conversation with them, and how do we do that as easily as possible? Mm. And uh, so we had probably three stops, and we'd start in maybe the first one, I think we started in Volpe's from 8 to 9, and then we went over to Graziano's, when it was Graziano's, from 9 to 10, and then we went somewhere else after that. And we had themes on these events, and my favorite theme was bring a book that changed your life. Mm. And you know, so you'd see somebody walking into Volpes with a book under their arm and immediately, Oh oh they're they're part of this. So you could have a conversation and you find out a lot about them, especially if you ask them about the book that changed their life. Uh, you really start getting quite deep fairly fast. And sure. you might realize and then you start realizing, oh, you live in the same street or you have the same interest or you know the same person or, you know, whatever it is that connects you Uh, and then kind of forms that uh, relationship, that kind of fabric, underlying fabric of of the community. And that's really what I've been working with in that kind of realm of, well, it's it's all to do with kind of social capital, uh, which kind of defines how connected a city is uh, or a community. Do people know each other? Do people then not just know each other, but trust each other? And kind of that whole kind of um, underlying sense of community that, People have or do not have in 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 a, in a system that you're talking about.
1: Yeah, I kind of discovered that uh, that social capital. You know, doing this show, I realized I can pick up the phone and uh, or do an email and find John Crowley, uh, the various guests that I've had here, and it's 95 percent of the people who've been on the show I already know, right? Yes. Yeah, and. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's by being in the community and involved in the community, and it actually deepens, certainly deepens the connection with Petaluma and, and being here and what that's like.
3: Exactly. It makes it a nicer, more interesting, more vibrant place to live right. if you've got high right. social capital. And that was the, the book that I, I had a big impact on, a book by Robert Putnam, a sociologist, who wrote this book called *Bowling Alone. Alone. Exactly, yeah. The Demise of Social Capital uh-huh. in the United States. Yes fascinating book. I mean, I think I read the, the first chapter and the last chapter. The middle chapters were all, you know, sociological studies and charts and this, that and the other. It was kind of um, above my head. But, but uh, the essence of the book was alarming in that, you know, we used to be part of bowling leagues. We used to be part of social organizations. We used to know our neighbors. We used to, you know, all these things that we used to. And things either through technology or television or What it is, I'm not sure. What was in this book? He wasn't actually sure what it was that led to the decline of social capital, but it has it has declined. And so my kind of thing that I kind of said, well, what am I going to do to reverse this, or what am I going to do to help reverse the trend of social capital, or build social capital? And that was the public role was a big part of that.
1: Yeah, that book you have. Thank you for reminding me. I used I spoke about it for years in in my sermons. I talked from it because in the Jewish community the social capital piece is an important part of our relationship with each other and uh working together as a community yeah. and that book was so descriptive of I grew up with my father in bowling leagues right mm-hmm. and yes. stuff like yeah. that so yes. here I'm reading bowling alone <laughs> yes. and um it was uh, a very profound message yes I read that, was really that was. book and it's it's so very true yeah and even in today's world, with Facebook now as the uh, major form of getting people connected yeah. for us, at least of our generations, this is uh, kind of strange. You know, I'd rather sit in the room and I talk to you. To you. Right. Yes,
3: yeah, it, it, it is, and it's it's different, and I'm not sure that it's, uh, you know, th- there's a lot of good in Facebook and, and social media. But there's a lot of anti social activity happening in social media too i mean we've seen it in in our in our small town um, things that you know uh, have been said in social media that might not normally be said in face to face um so it's you know we have to we have to uh, it's a new technology for us sometimes we use it incorrectly and um it's, you know, it, it's a difficult thing. I think we're 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 not quite sure how to handle the, the, at the moment. Well,
1: yeah. yeah, the full implications of it won't be known until right. that is down. Yeah. somebody will write the book in ten years. Yes. But right now, yeah, um, yeah. we're yeah. we're living through it and, and existing with it. So you've set up uh, your little coffee shop as a place where people can connect. That's that's, that's your goal over that's there. I, that's always been my impression. Absolutely. That's
3: exactly it. I look at it as a uh, community living room. It's it's my living room, but it's all your living room. a shared living room that you know sells nice good coffee and good food and beer and wine and has activities and music and all those kinds of things to gather people together. It's I grew up in an Irish pub. Uh, my grandfather started a pub uh, 100 years ago, and, and my dad ran it, and now my brother's running it. And I saw what it did for the community, uh, the the town just outside Dublin where we lived. So it, was, uh, it was the community center. The church was one community center, and the pub was the other community mm-hmm. center. And, you know, the parish priest used to come down to the pub as well, so it wasn't as right, though right. kind of, yours and mine, that kind of thing. It was very much uh, we were in, in both all the time. Um, I grew up, in, of course, in a in pub, not the church. But um, it was um, the community center for everybody to convene and meet. Um, you know, it was a little, you might, one might argue that it was a little alcohol-centric. Um, a little? A little, <laughs> exactly. Maybe <laughs> a little too much. But, uh, you no, know, that's that's, uh, that, you know, the, the pub culture in Ireland and England, you know, we've all been to England and Ireland and, and appreciated yeah, I bet, it. Right? And loved it. You know, we come away and say, oh, why, why don't we have more of that in America? And, uh, well, that was my question to myself. Why don't? So that's why I opened up Blackwood's Cafe. You know, we have beer and wine in there. We do close early, so we're not about, you know, we're about community. uh, Right. About building community. I I,
1: I personally think that the coffee shops have replaced the pubs in America, in a a sense, uh, as a place where this connecting can take place. Uh, As I was telling you before, when I was in Ireland... I, I couldn't believe how much the, the musicians were drinking while they were playing in the pub. I, I watched the guy t- take five pints down, you know, that, that's a, how many ounces? That's whatever. quite a few. Yeah, yeah, that's there. 16 ounces. No, that's that's quite a <laughs> 80 ounces of alcohol within two hours of sure, watching him absolutely. there. Like,
3: well, if it's Guinness, it's not really. It's, that's more like a liquid lunch. Sure. Yeah, it's right. you know, Guinness. <laughs> yes,
1: yes. I used to think it was a book of records, but not, then it, I it took on this other thing after I went <laughs> to uh, I went to Ireland, so, so the uh, coffee shop is in in many ways in America become the uh, this place of meeting where people can come to meet and hang out together. So uh, that, that, that's important. Yeah,
3: that that idea of uh, the third space uh, concept. You know, your first is your home, your second is your work, and your third is any place where you uh, create community, where you 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 bond with other human beings, and 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 create a sense of belonging and a sense of right. sense of, of place. Um, so those places are very important. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there are libraries, there are churches, there are any the bowling, the bowling alleys as well. Yeah. Uh, those types of places are. We forget the importance that these things have on our just our well-being and what it's like to live in a community. Mm-hmm. If we don't have those, if we don't have those ways of meeting each other, uh, then we we end up with a very kind of uh, a community with a very low social capital index.
1: So, um, what do you think should be done for people moving to Petaluma now, the newcomers who are coming? What do you? Well,
3: that's one of the programs that we have as part of Aquas Community is a newcomers a welcome wagon. Uh-huh. We have this once a month, and it's you know so I'll post it on next door and on Facebook, and um, a lot of people know about it. And you know sometimes there's five people there, sometimes there's twenty five people there, mm-hmm. but it's a way for I guess you could say to use kind of new technology onboarding people into Petaluma. Onboarding, Onboarding. Uh, yeah, okay. But it's really just uh, helping people integrate. So when you when you move to a new community, well, how do you find your friends? How do you find what places to go and hang out? What do you what kind of email lists should you be on? What to do? What places to go and volunteer at? So it's very much a meet and greet. Uh, and a lot of times, people who are there find immediate friends from the person sitting beside them. They've both moved from San Francisco or Chicago or New York or Illinois or whatever, and they're sitting beside somebody else, and they'll start up a conversation, and that might be your first friend. But it's um, an idea that, that that stemmed from my problems of integrating. So I remember when I, I, I think I told you, I, I moved to Germany straight after college. How do you integrate there? It was kind of when you're new to a community, you have to find ways of doing that. So it stuck me, and then also when I moved to Petaluma, same kind of issue. How do you how do you integrate? How do you find the things that you want to do, the the community you want to surround yourself with? Uh, so this this event, it's a monthly thing. Okay. And
1: some people have a challenge with that. You're you're speaking from the point of view. I'm going somewhere, and I'm going to find a way to connect. But some people want to connect, but they don't have the social skills, or their inner energy is different about. Talking to strangers, yeah, uh, yeah. privacy, mm-hmm. and so I've seen many times. Uh, certainly at the, at uh, Ben Jewish Center, people come in and they'll stand in the corner, the, yeah. and the the welcoming group, the people who are already there, have a role to play in yes. uh, in this. Uh, endeavour of connecting people.
3: Yeah, it's actually interesting at the uh, the the welcome wagon slash newcomers event. A lot of people come down who've lived in Petaluma for quite a long time Uh
1: uh, to welcome people as well. And that's that's a great sign of uh, it is. Yeah. So aside from this social capital piece, I know you have uh, other passions of uh, around issues of social justice, not just social capital, but uh, looking at our world the way it is these days. you were talking a little bit about the restorative justice system, and maybe you want to comment on yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, tonight, uh,
3: and we are we are going out live, so um, tonight Market your calendars for an, uh, an event at the Kavanaugh Center put on by the Mentor Me, mm-hmm. by Luma Mentor Me and uh, Meta Center, and it's about restorative justice, which is a concept. I mean, so t- t- take something like uh, um, a young kid who breaks a a window or something like that, or does some graffiti on on the side of your wall, well, in typical old-fashioned, well, he'd be arrested, he'd put into Julie Hall, and that'd be that, and you'd have to go and clean your wall, and that'd be that. The idea with uh, restorative justice is, well, you sit down with the victim, uh, and you sit down with the perpetrator, and you have a conversation about restoring the relationship so what would end up happening with this, this, this person would, would clean your wall and apologize and make it right for you. Uh, rather than wasting our resources on juvenile hall or whatever it is, punishment. Um, punishment doesn't really seem to work in a lot of cases. Um, sending somebody off to juvie hall or, or um, uh, prison, they're not, they're not going to come out better um in many cases and i i know that I, I can't generalize but um if you've got a system and especially in in light of uh, privatized prisons if you've got a system where somebody enters a private prison is the is that company who runs the private prison are they incentivized to have that person come out a better person or a, a better criminal you know well actually they're incentivized because that's their business, is is incarcerating people. So they are not incentivized with having them coming out better. Actually, quite the reverse. So a lot of things have to change, and that's one of the ideas behind restorative justice is uh, making sure that um, people are being heard, um, that um, people, you know, the, the the victim of the crime, gets a feeling of... Justice and that the the perpetrator um, ends up being a better person. And uh, there are other aspects to the. To, to, uh, I'm going to find out more tonight. Right, right. Because I would generally... generally...
1: to know: is that a, 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 a program that the police department runs? Is it a, is it through the? It, it's teenagers, the school districts, and you know, how does the politic of that yeah. of bringing a system of restorative justice into place? You know, where does
3: yeah, um, it's. I'm not exactly sure where, how it came about. Where where it, I think it might be Gandian, um, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, first of all, it's it's cheaper. You, mean, <laughs> I mean, you know,
1: maybe spend money on,
3: on prisons. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, just a little bit, just a little So you know, it, it's kind of um, one of those things that makes perfect sense from all angles. It's it's cheaper. It's better for the victim. It's better for the perpetrator. It's better for the police. It's better for the community better for just about everybody and it's kind of like a um, it's one of those things that people are kind of scratching their heads and saying well aren't we doing this already and we're realizing that we're not doing this already and um, so it's uh, a lot of schools are doing it a lot of uh, communities a lot of police are doing it um, I'm going to find out more tonight as to right. find out okay. exactly um, how how it is being implemented and even if it is being implemented in our community here.
1: Yeah, I think the uh, North Bay Organizing Project is involved in Santa Rosa in a uh, restorative justice program, and other groups are yeah. trying very hard to make that difference, and uh, it, yeah. uh, prisons are known to create better criminals. They're yeah. not necessarily known to rehabilitate people from uh, the crimes with the, that they committed, so yeah. Yeah. It, it, it would be a great thing to happen. It would be a great thing. Mm-hmm. Um you know we're we're uh, in election season here, and we are not going to be endorsing i'm not going to be asking you who you favor for this position or that position, but what's the are you picking up any uh, in your circle in the cafe and in uh, what's the mood in the community? Is this an important election? Are we obsessed with what's happening nationally and we really can't focus on this what do you have any well, it, it
3: is. I mean, looking at nationally, it's kind of we're going through this this, this slow train wreck. <laughs> I, I I describe it as a as a, a kind of a, a slow emergency uh-huh. um, that we are going through. And it's every day you kind of wake up and you say it can't get any worse, and then strangely it gets more stranger and stranger. Locally. Um, you know, uh, uh, there are there are many candidates out there, many great candidates, and I'm, I'm, I'm delighted uh, that people are showing interest. I think this um, election season, we've got seven candidates going for three seats, uh-huh. which last time we had four candidates going for three seats, which just shows you the level of interest and the level of civic engagement that has uh, really been, uh, you know, could you say it has been inspired by our what's going on nationally?
1: Probably, in I some ways. Mean, absolutely, I have to say. Either, either
3: through outrage or whatever right. else, I'm not sure right. what it is, yeah. but it is certainly inspiring people to um, right. give back to the community in serving on our city council and, and the other commissions. So, um Definitely, you know, I, I I would support people who are, you know, you just mentioned one of the, my, my, my favorite topics is restorative justice. So candidates who are, you know, interested in seeing that implemented in our community, well, well, they're going to get my support, obviously. Um, yeah, it's not the only thing. There are many difficulties, challenges that we have in Petaluma is that, you know, a lot of the big issues is traffic. Um, you know, are we just... Building more buildings I mean people need houses, yes, but you know we need to have proper infrastructure in order to do that so a lot of it is looking at different ways to uh, create housing create uh, development that is going to be uh, in line with creating um, you know, also affordable affordability is is huge because very few people can afford to live in that but also urban planning you know if you if you create a city with good bike paths, accessibility, you actually influence the nature of the town. And I'm talking about the social capital of the town. You know, you can have two extremes where everything is very car-centric, where you have to drive a car from to get your pint of milk. Yeah. Um, you have to do... Uh, so so in, in urban settings, um, you create it so you actually cycle, you walk, you interact with other people. Um, being in a car is very much kind of like solitary confinement.
1: <laughs> it, <laughs> it is a form of it. <laughs> it is indeed. Yeah.
3: Um, it cuts social capital, it certainly. Absolutely. Yeah. It really does. You know, That's just right. bumping into people. and see. Right. So that, those kinds of things are what, uh, what I'm interested in. And there's okay. a lot of great candidates out there. So
1: so here's a trick question. Although ah. I promised you no trick questions. <laughs> okay. Ready? Yes, ready. Have you ever considered running for public office? <laughs> I
3: will considered. Yes, of course I've considered it. Uh-huh. Um... Not this year, obviously. Oh, right. right. Uh, I, I figured that out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it's not. Um, yes, I have considered it uh, and have not decided, or have decided not yet. Okay. Um, but definitely sometime in the future. Yeah. Um, I, will, I will think
1: about it. Well, I think uh, we need people who think about things and have mm-hmm. perspectives mm-hmm. and strength to bring to the community. Mm-hmm. Well, it's uh, any uh, in the. Five seconds, any last comments or thoughts before we close up?
3: Well I just wanted to thank you, Ted, Rabbi Ted, for hosting and hosting me and having me here on your show. I really appreciate it. Yes. I know the work you've been doing in the synagogue and also the PCRC, the Petaluma Community Relations Council, uh really is invaluable to, to uh Petaluma and the sense of who Petaluma uh, what, what Petaluma is and, and the kind of people that live here. Um, so, thank you. Yeah.
1: Well, thank you very much. It's been great to have this conversation with you. Fun, informative, and all kinds of things. So, all of you listeners have been listening to Talking with Rabbi Ted here at KPCALP, Petaluma, California. We'll see you next time we're on the air.
2: Petaluma, California. Hi, this is Ed Pearlstein, your host for Jazz. To make the perfect jazz cocktail, you take some John Coltrane, mix in a bunch of Miles Davis and a pinch of Kirby Hancock. Shake and enjoy. Get Jazz every Monday at 4 p.m. on KPCA 103.3 FM or www.kpca.fm online. I heard there was a new radio station in town. Oh, oh, you mean Free Range Radio KPCA at 103.3 FM. Yeah, that's right. How did you know about that? Well, I just look where all good information comes from. Facebook. Just follow the Free Range Radio KPCA page and join the discussion. Just keep it polite. Facebook? (laughs) Yeah. Our on-air personalities will post updates and information on their shows, as well as events and news concerning the station.
0: This is DJ Saeed, host of Four Circle Sessions. Every Friday afternoon from 3 to 5 p.m., my show presents incredible dance music from across the decades. Join me for two hours of musical journey featuring the best and eclectic dance music. Get your weekend started here at 103.3 KPCA.
1: I heard there was a new radio station in town.
2: Oh, oh, you mean Free Range Radio KPCA at 103.3 FM. Yeah, that's right. How did you know about that? Well, I just look where all good information comes from. Facebook. Just follow the Free Range Radio KPCA page and join the discussion. Just keep it polite. Facebook? Yeah. Our on-air personalities will post updates and information on their shows, as well as events and news concerning the station. KPCA. LP. Catalina, California.